Hello, and welcome to the December 2nd, 2022 edition of the TriDoc Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sankoff, the TriDoc, an emergency physician, triathlon coach, and multiple Ironman finisher, coming to you from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. Well, if the rumors are to be believed, then a major change is coming to the Ironman World Championships, and I'm excited to say that this change looks very similar to something that I have been talking about on this program for the better part of two years. This past Tuesday, on the website Triathlon Today, it was announced that the Ironman World Championships will be splitting to two different venues. The men will race in Nice, France, on September 10th. Then the women will race on their own day about a month later in October in Kailua, Kona. Now, if this idea sounds familiar to you, I mean, let's face it, I hope it does, that's because you've heard it here. Here I am talking to Heather Fuhr about this very same idea back in episode 88. I've mentioned to a couple of people, and since I'm talking to you, who actually works in Ironman, I'm going to put forward my idea that I've been mentioning to anybody who will listen. I love the 70.3 worlds, the way it rotates. I have enjoyed going to the different locations. And I think one answer to possibly deal with this idea of the affinity for Kona, but the limited peer space, as well as this idea that you know rotating the worlds is a fun thing because it is nice to see different uh, locations, is split the race, have a men's race and a women's race, but have them alternate between who's in Kona. So one year the men are in Kona, one year the women are in Kona. And when the men are in Kona, the women do the worlds at a different location somewhere around the world on a different day so that it doesn't tax you guys. It's, it could be a different day. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, the I don't remember who I said, but the women would be in Kona the next year and the men yeah. would be in a different location. Maybe it's the Lanzarote or something. But um, nice. that way, Kona still gets the tie. You get to benefit the women get to benefit because they get more slots and um, everybody I think would be happy in that. Anyways, that's my pet. So you can, you can mention that to Andrew and you can take credit for it. (laughs) (laughs) Now there is no doubt that this decision is going to engender lots of opinions and undoubtedly a significant amount of bellicose shaking of fists and clutching of pearls. But Let's try just for a second to look at it rationally, if we can, and consider the merits of this decision, assuming it comes to pass. The issues around the World Championship this past year have been written about and talked to death, but here they are again in a nutshell. The people of Kona were not at all happy about having such a large event back in their town, and they were definitely not happy about it being spread over two days. Lodging, food, and even grocery stores were overrun and prices were absolutely sky-high, specifically related to lodging and accommodation. Travel to the Big Island is crazy expensive, just even from North America, and even much more prohibitively so for athletes in Europe. The Kona course favors a specific type of athlete, one who handles the heat and humidity really well, but maybe not necessarily highlights the best athletes out there. The Kona course is also not that difficult, except for the environmental conditions. Now, let's consider the impact of splitting the race in the way that has been rumored to be going to happen in 2023. First, the locals will get their wish with a smaller race population, and the race itself will be confined to just one day. The women will be truly highlighted with a very distinct day of racing that, for next year at least, will be a month after the men. Demand for accommodations will be lower, and therefore, so too will be prices. 
Europeans, previously unable to go to the Big Island, well, in 2023 anyways, have a much more reasonable option in Nice, which also provides a significantly more challenging bike course and, therefore, may select a different kind of athlete to win age groups and the pro race. Plus, the benefit of having at least one sex still race in Hawaii is that the race retains its tie to the Big Island, something that the purists in the sport have insisted must happen. Now, I have, from the moment that I proposed this idea, continued to believe that this is a great move for Ironman. And I know there are many out there who agree, and probably more, or at least just as many, who will vehemently disagree. Now, I'm not doing Ironman in 23, and I have to tell you that personally, I'm a little disappointed, because the chance to go to France to do the World Championship is very, very alluring. In the coming episodes, I hope to have the thoughts of others on this subject and to bring them to you here, so stay tuned. In the meantime, what do you think? I'd really love to know, especially if you yourself have qualified for the race for next year or are trying to qualify in the next year or two. Send me an email or post in the private TriDoc Podcast Facebook group. I'm especially interested, again, if you yourself have qualified or are looking to qualify in the next year or two. Is this going to change anything for you? Well, let me know, because I think it makes for a very interesting conversation. On the show today, I'm going to look at a growing body of scientific evidence that suggests that social media usage is associated with poorer athletic performance. Now, intuitively, I'm guessing that this probably won't come as a huge shock to anyone, but the rationale for how spending time on various social networks can play a role in impacting performance is interesting. And while not at all conclusive, it's definitely of interest. Now, given that I am one of those people who spends more time than I know that I should perusing Facebook and Instagram, the results of the studies that we found on the subject are definitely worth considering. And if you have kids who are student athletes, well, the impacts are even greater. And that story's coming up short. After that, I am thrilled to finally be able to bring you a conversation with professional triathlete Tim O'Donnell that I've been working really hard to set up for quite some time. Tim really doesn't need any introduction given his long career of success in both 70.3 and the full Ironman distance, including several podium finishes in Kona. But many will know of Tim because of his harrowing experience at the Clash Miami race in Miami back in 2021 when he suffered a pretty significant heart attack during the event and needed to take a long break for recovery afterwards in order to get back into form. Fortunately, he did recover and managed a top 10 finish in Kona this past October, where I got to meet him and speak with him briefly at the medical conference that's held there every year. He was incredibly gracious and agreed to come on the podcast to talk about his career, his dramatic health scare, and his celebratory return to the Big Island, as well as what the future holds for him, and you're going to hear all of that just a little bit later on. Before, though, I want to take a moment to once again thank all of my Patreon supporters of this podcast who have generously decided that for about the price of a cup of coffee per month, they could sign up to support this program and in doing so, get access to bonus interviews and other segments that come out every month or so. Most recently, just such an episode came out with an additional conversation between me and Coach Jim Vance, who was heard on episode 106. In our bonus conversation, we talked about how Jim manages an athlete like Ben Canute to victory at the highest level even when he has a season hampered by illness and injury like he did this past year. For North American subscribers at the $10 per month level of support, I also have a special thank you gift in the form of a pretty cool Boco TriDoc podcast running. So visit my Patreon site today, patreon.com forward slash TriDoc podcast, and become a supporter so that you too can get access. And if you choose to donate at that level, maybe this cool gift as well. And as always, I thank you in advance just for considering. 
The past decade has seen both a rise and a reckoning related to social media around the world. With the rapid propagation of platforms like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and many more, hundreds of millions of people have found it easier to connect online, exchange ideas, and become exposed to concepts that they might never have been able to before. However, with that, social media has brought numerous challenges, both societally and to individuals. Many of these are problematic and can have long-lasting impacts on lives or even world events. In recent years, there has also been a growing recognition that social media is particularly hazardous for youth, especially adolescents and preteens, who may not be well-equipped to process the information or the pressures associated with being on some of these platforms. And there are many who postulate that mental health among adolescents is in crisis, directly as a consequence of the rise in social media use in this demographic. And while the use of social media has increased dramatically everywhere, it's been particularly notable among young people. In 2005, it was estimated that 5% of adults in the United States used some form of social media. By 2019, this number had increased to 72%. But among young people, it's even higher, with approximately 90% using social media in at least one platform or another. Social media use is known to affect work productivity, relationships, and even family life. But what about athletic performance? Can increasing use of these platforms be related to changes in how athletes perform? Well, a recent article in the Clinical Journal of Sports Medicine reported on how the use of social media can specifically impact sleep quality in college athletes, and then sought to determine whether or not this subsequently led to changes in athletic performance. This is important given that social media use is thought to be as high as 99% among collegiate athletes. The authors hypothesized that social media use would adversely affect sleep quality, and that this in turn would negatively impact athletic performance. And this was based on some previous research and observations that this is in fact true. Such research has demonstrated pretty significant sleep disturbances across all age groups with increasing social media use. For example, in a study of university students, those who are non-users of social media have better sleep quality than those who use it. Another paper reported on how increasing social media use was associated not just with lower sleep quality, but also with higher amounts of depression and anxiety. A different study again, this time one of basketball players in the National Basketball Association, or NBA, found that players who tweeted late at night showed worse performances in games the next day as measured by points scored and rebounds. And this is a particularly interesting study, even though its methods aren't exactly flawless. Its findings are still really cool. Essentially, the authors found that pro basketball players who tweet a lot after 11 p.m. tended to be less active in games the next day, committing less fouls, securing less rebounds, and scoring less points points on the basis of measurably lower shooting percentage. Now, in this study, it wasn't clear if the use of Twitter was the cause of this problem or if it simply demonstrated the fact that players were unable to sleep and that, in fact, it was the lack of sleep that was the issue and not the use of Twitter. But still, the overall finding that those who use Twitter more tend to play worse is itself pretty interesting. Whatever the issue, the authors of this study that I initially referenced in Clinical Journal of Sports Medicine, they wanted to assess how prevalent social media use was in collegiate athletes, how much time the athletes were spending on social media, whether or not increased social media use was associated with decreased sleep quality, and whether or not increased social media use was then associated with poorer athletic performance. 
The authors evaluated a group of 87 athletes from two schools, of whom slightly more than half were women. The athletes were all selected from track and field or swimming, as in these instances, it would be easiest to measure performance by the individual, and in the previous study that I referred to from the NBA, couldn't totally be sure that the individual was seeing decreased performance because of something related to them or if it had to do more with how their team was performing, something that was impossible for the authors to control. In this study, by just looking at runners and swimmers, then we knew that any effects of social media were really on the individual themselves. All of the athletes in this study used social media, though the amount that they used it varied quite considerably. The range of use was from 1.0 hours per day in the less active users to 3.5 hours per day in the moderate users, all the way up to 8.3 hours a day in the most active social media users. How they were using it 8.3 hours a day, I have no idea, but that's what was reported. The researchers were able to show quite clearly that social media use definitely had an impact on sleep quality, with the most active users having appreciably lower sleep quality than less active users, though there was no difference in sleep quality between the most active and moderate, nor between the moderate and less active. So it seemed to be you were either really bad because you were using social media so much, or you didn't really have much impact on your sleep if you were moderate or low. Interestingly, Despite this difference in sleep quality between the high users and the low users, social media use itself was not associated with any demonstrable decrement in athletic performance, suggesting that neither social media nor the lower quality of sleep it induces are sufficient to affect performance in this particular group. Now, given the abundance of research that I mentioned previously that demonstrates sleep quality and quantity are associated with decreasing performance in both training and competition, this result is surprising, and the authors themselves felt that it's likely not the final word on this subject. Rather, it was their sense that additional research should be done on the question, and that in time, social media use would in fact be shown to adversely impact athletic performance. But for this specific study, that couldn't be gleaned. For example, if we look at a study from a couple of years ago in which runners had their quality quantity of hours of sleep controlled and then ran a structured test, lower amounts of sleep were seen to influence running VO2 max, run speed, and endurance. And so you can imagine that if social media is decreasing sleep, then we would expect athletic performance to be impacted in a similar fashion. Why it wasn't seen in this particular study from the Clinical Journal of Sports Medicine, I can't say. Now, the relevance of all of these results, both on how social media impacts sleep and on how sleep impacts performance on age group triathlon, isn't really hard to appreciate. More and more, triathletes are becoming prolific distributors of social media content about their exploits. And while this has many positive effects, such as augmenting the profile of our sport and potentially bringing more people into it as a result, it also has the potential to worsen sleep disturbances in the heaviest consumers. Athletes themselves are already known to have disordered sleep, and older athletes in particular are even more afflicted in this regard. If this is compounded by social media use, then while this paper did not show a definitive impact on performance, it may still be there, and especially among less elite athletes. All of this to say that putting a cap on social media use may be a good idea not just because of all of the societal impacts that it has, but also because of its potential to further disrupt your sleep and thereby affect your training and racing. 
Now, if you don't necessarily believe that social media use is truly affecting sleep, then maybe curtailing its use close to bedtime is the best way to go because we definitely know that using your phone close to or in bed is one way to disrupt your sleep, not just because it keeps your mind working and makes it harder to fall asleep, but because the light emitted by the screen actually disrupts REM sleep, something that I haven't really covered in this segment, but it's something that I can talk about in a later segment if people are interested. Now, of course, if you're going to cap your social media use, I would ask that you only do so after sharing the wonderful information you've learned in this podcast first. Do you have a question for me to answer on the TriDoc podcast? Well, I hope that you'll send it to me at tri underscore doz at icloud.com. Alternatively, you can, of course, drop it into the private Facebook group for the TriDoc podcast, where I'm always looking for exciting and interesting questions. My guest on the podcast today is Tim O'Donnell. Tim is, of course, one of the world's most successful and experienced American long course triathletes. As a professional, he has earned more than 50 podium finishes, including over 22 wins at major events throughout the world. Along with the ITU Long Distance World Champion in 2009, his other wins include nine Ironman 70.3 victories, two Ironman wins, and six Armed Forces National Championships. At the Ironman World Championships in Kona in Hawaii between 2012 and 2019, Tim finished second, third, fifth, sixth, and eighth and earned top American spots in 2013, 15, and 19. As most of you know, in March of 2021, Tim was participating in the Challenge Miami race and not having a great day. What looked to many as just a tough performance, though, turned out to be significantly worse when it was revealed much later on that, in fact, he had suffered a potentially devastating myocardial infarction or heart attack. Fortunately, Tim has returned from that very scary episode and just recently raced in Kona, where he finished 13th, a result that he may not be completely satisfied with, but one that all of his fans are definitely marveling at, given what he went through just to get there. I had the great fortune to see Tim speak at the Ironman Medical Conference in the days leading up to the race and was really happy for the opportunity to meet him after his talk and speak with him briefly. I could tell you that like so many other professionals that I've had the good fortune to meet, Tim is as gracious, genuine, and humble as you would imagine, and he made time for everyone who wanted to speak with him on that day. Better yet, he even agreed to make time to speak with me on the podcast today, and for that, I'm even more grateful. So Tim, thank you so much for agreeing to join me here on the TriDog Podcast. Of course, Jeff. Uh, thanks for having me. I know you've been reaching out for a while to get me on, so I'm glad we finally connected. <laughs> Persistence it sometimes pays off, and uh, I'm really glad that it did this time. So uh, thanks again. Uh, I- I'm really curious, what's the last year and a half been like for you, coming back from just a terrible experience and then being able to race in Kona again? It's uh, It's been a kind of a tumultuous you know, year and a half. Um, definitely lots of ups and downs, lots of different emotions. And yeah, I think I'm still processing it all to, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I was so happy and grateful to get out there in Kona. Um, and for most, most of that run in, I didn't know how I would do, or even if I could get back to that level. So being in the mix, uh, for a good part of the race was, was pretty exciting for me. 
Yeah, I I was at a life sport camp in St. George back in April, and the Julie Dibbins camp was going on at the same time. And uh, seeing you come just flying down diagonal as we were getting set to start our run up diagonal, I just looked at a couple of uh, the athletes that I was with, and I was like, wow, uh, Tim O'Donnell just looks amazing for a, a normal pro, never mind somebody who's come back from what he has. So at what point after you got clearance from the physicians, did you really start to feel like, okay, I'm going to be able to do this? Yeah. So if we kind of look at it just with the whole timeline, it was what March of 2021 uh, 20, that I had the heart attack. And then I pretty much was on the bench for the rest of the year. I went and uh, saw Dr. Aaron Bag Bagish, a um, sports cardiology specialist at uh, Mass General in Boston, you know, one of the best. Uh, I saw him in mid-October, and he gave me the clear. We ran some tests, gave me the clear to um, get back to training normally. But at that point, Rennie was uh, – <laughs> she was still racing. She was um, – and I was kind of – and we were transitioning to a new nanny, so – I didn't really get a chance to get into my normal groove until uh, after the holidays and kind of January 1 of 2022. And it was rough. <laughs> we went out to San Diego in January. I went out with, um, you know, Justin Metzler and Matt Hansen, two of my training partners with um, Julie Dibbins crew. And the boys, they were both getting ready for St. George. So their fitness was kind of ahead of where it should be in, in January. And mine was way, way, way below what it should have been for January. So the Delta there was pretty large. Uh, but, you know, I remember being on one that first hard run with the guys and I was getting absolutely crushed. I was losing like 45 seconds a mile. And, uh, and our camera guy, Kenny Withrow was there and he looked at me and I just kind of smiled. I'm like, can you believe I'm still out here doing this? <laughs> I'm like, this is awesome. And he's like, wow, that's a good perspective. So uh, that, you know, I definitely took my, I had to take my time to get back and, um, you know, with kids, two kids and Rini was still racing. Uh, it's just a hard balance as it is. So, um, I, yeah, I, I didn't know, I didn't know if I would get to the fitness level I needed, uh, especially with my swimming, but I feel like we just were starting to get there when, I, um, for the Coney camp in Lawrence, which was pretty nice. But honestly, it was, you know, I knew I could, I knew I could work my way back to fitness. I didn't know if I could get all the way back, but I knew just like, I know how to train. I have amazing coaches. I have amazing support staff. It really was the mental side. Um, and we kind of talked about this a little bit in the conference. It really was the mental side. That was probably the harder uh, aspect of it all to really get my head around. You know, it's really interesting. I, I feel like um, in speaking with you at, both at the conference and even now, I hear so many parallels, not just um, from how you described I'm going to ask you about this a little bit later on about the impact that your il your illness had on your family, but also in in the mental things you're overcoming. Because I look at my own daughter who dealt with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, and now she's coming back as an athlete herself, and she's just got these huge mental barriers that she's constantly trying to overcome. And I, I think that she's too young to really process that uh, it's this this almost PTSD related to her illness. Mm -hmm. And you are obviously older, more mature, able to sort of process those thoughts and feelings. And yeah, I, I see this a lot in my own patients and my work experience that especially with the heart, uh, when people have, they know that that's a limiter for exercise. And uh, does it enter into your mind when you're out there and, and pushing yourself hard on the bike or the run? I mean, does it ever come into your mind that, Oh, I need to back off or, or does it, is it no, or do you just like, get into race mode and it's just out of your mind. No, it was, 
you know, you like to think that you're just going to pop into race mode, but that definitely isn't the case. I mean, for me, when you, when it kind of every, you know, an event like that changes your perspective and uh, not just with racing, but with life. So, you know, I have two amazing kids, beautiful wife, all that is worth way more than racing. And, you know, pile that onto the fact that I've been racing for a long time. I've achieved a lot of great things. I don't really need to keep racing, right? Like if I had to walk away, then, you know, I still would have had a great career. So all that kind of makes you question what you're doing out there to some extent. And it honestly just takes time for you to get the confidence back that what you're doing isn't going to be detrimental to your health. And I found the further you get away from the real information. So the specialist, like a Dr. Aaron Baggish, the further you get away from that, the more worried you are because the less you know. And, you know, obviously there's a, there are frequently, you know, incidents in our sport, particularly at races where, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, bad events happen and it's so fresh in the mind. And so it seems to be so correlated to the actual training and racing um, that if you're not really informed with all the information, it's, it's hard to, to kind of separate the two and, and realize that, Hey, you know, while this happened to me at a race, it doesn't mean it's going to happen to me again at a race. Yeah. Yeah. But so hard to, it's so hard to overcome that. I really applaud you for being able to, to do that. Um, you know, when you look at what happened in Kona, uh, for, well, first of all, were you happy with your race were you, with your day? Oh, I honestly, I got, I struggle with that every day since the race. Um, and, you know, as we we're just talking, like, I didn't really have confidence in my racing early in my first couple races. Uh, Chattanooga, which was my first 70.3, absolutely petrified, uh, especially in the swim. I kind of, like, worked my way into it. Des Moines, I just, I was questioning, you know, kind of, you know, it was, it was a full Ironman, right? So I'm like, I don't, can I do an Ironman? You know, is this something I can still do? So I got through that and, you know, the confidence builds and builds. And it really wasn't until Kona that I felt like I raced without uh, hesitation, I guess. Uh, that being said, I probably rode a little bit above my fitness. Uh, I had a I had a great ride. You know, I think I was off the bike, what, fifth or sixth. Um, tactically, I was a little rusty on some of the, I, you know, I knew there were some moves I should have covered earlier on the bike that I didn't. And that was probably me being smart with knowing my fitness was a little more limited than it probably should, um, normally is at a world championship, but I got to the run and I was still in the mix and it's around like eight miles. Like I felt pretty bad and I've done that race. What? 10 times. I kind of know like <laughs> through this own experiment of my racing, like kind of know how the run's going to go when I, those first couple steps off the bike. And uh, I was faking it, I think for eight or nine miles. And then I had this, I got to this point where I really started questioning what I was doing and what, what my motivations and goals were. And then I realized, as much as I talked about it with Rennie and the coach, the coaches, I didn't really know what I was out there for. You know, was I out there to try to win? Was I out there to try to be the top American? Was I out there to just finish? Was I out, you know, what, what was I out there for? And I kind of had this self-realization that, you know, I'm just out here to celebrate this journey back and almost close close the chapter on this heart attack and and that means getting to the finish line and, and and doing it and you know being strong and being able to celebrate so I, I didn't really i didn't go to the well on the run which i hate to say because well you know when you're out there racing that you just you want to be racing everything you have um but 
I also had, you know, I also kind of realized how much this whole journey back took out of me. And I felt it kind of like when, when at that point on the run, I kind of realized, oh, wow, like mentally, not just not physically, mentally, emotionally, it was a lot, you know, and it, you kind of feel start to feel it on your shoulders. Uh, so performance wise, that's super like, you know, not through the moon, but the fact that I was able to come back and have a really great race, still be the top American. I don't know how that happened and actually have like one of my fastest times in Kona ever. Um, I do. I value that all uh, greatly. And I've never enjoyed this finish line. The finish line has never been so sweet at the Ironman world championship. I tell you what, just being able to smile and share that and say, thank you to everybody out there, not just my support team, but the whole sport, you know, the whole sport's been on this journey with me. So um, that really made it special. Yeah, and top fifteen is certainly nothing to 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 sneeze at, uh, especially on a day yeah. like that. And, I and mean, that's kind of what eight oh two, eight oh two would have won Kona. What forty out of forty three times? <laughs> yeah, and that that's kind of what I wanted to ask is you know when you look at what is going on with these performances, and then a few short weeks later in St. George, where I know Rennie was there watching, are you amazed or otherwise impressed with the way? Uh, you know, like impressed the same way us mere mortals are, or is just, just a natural evolution of the sport? Uh, just like as these new guys are coming in, they're coming in from a different background and they're just able to sort of crush what others have done before them. Yeah. Uh, incredibly impressed. Um, and as I look back, I'm almost kicking myself now too, because it feels like this, this generation, I think there's a couple of factors that led to this insanely amazing day with 10 guys under eight hours in Kona. Um, and actually when I saw Mark Allen in, in um, Santa Cruz before when we were out there for the 70.3 and I said, Mark, 10 guys are going to go, the top 10 will all be under eight hours guaranteed. And like, just watch. Um, but you know, you have the fact that, all right, you got these, you got a couple years off of no Kona. So normally you get like a couple uh, freshmen or rookies or whatever you want to call them that come in and they just kind of like, they go with the flow, right? They're, they don't have numbers, so they're like, eh, I'm just going to kind of be part of the race and let the veterans kind of dictate what happens. But now you have this, this like critical mass of new guys that, you know, that should have been spread out over a couple of years of Konas that were missed. And the, they had, they're like, all right, well, we don't know any better. There's a ton of us. Like, let's all just go out and do this and see what happens. Uh, so I think that was really important. And it, it seems like this younger group, uh, I don't want to say that they're irreverent towards what Kona is. Um, I, don't, I just don't think they've been exposed as much to the old guard. Like for me, like I grew up in the sport, like with Craig Alexander, you know, and 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 Rainey, of course, and they were closely tied in with all the generate, you know, the, the generations before them in, in the Kona world. So we all kind of follow this narrative of what we all thought Kona was, and then these young guys say, "That's great. We don't care. We're just going to go out there and crush it." So. It, it was really cool for me to watch. Um, I kind of wish I'd done that earlier in my career too. And just, um, kind of didn't follow the path, but you know, it is, it is what it is. <laughs> well, it's interesting because in the past we've seen people go out there. Like Chris McCormick is the one that comes to mind. He was very brash going into Kona saying he was mm-hmm. going to go crush it. And then it took him several tries of humiliation, really eating his own words yeah. to then finally be able to figure it out and do it. And then Sam Laidlaw comes and just, I mean, annihilates it. And Gustav Eden, same thing. It's really, really impressive. Yeah, Max Newman, uh, uh, Ditlev. uh, I mean, all of these guys were just uh, 
a house on fire. It was really quite impressive. I, I think that there's something to be said about the earlier start. Uh, you guys were, I was, uh, I, you know, I had the last second to last uh, age group wave. So I was only hitting Waikoloa when you guys were coming back. Yep. So you missed all the wind. I mean, it's not like it was that windy, but by the time I got to Javi, there was definitely wind where there clearly hadn't been earlier. So you, you right. definitely had better conditions. And I think that that 40 minute um, earlier start mm-hmm. clearly yep. sets you up for a faster bike ride and probably Absolutely. less heat on the run as well. Um, but still, I mean, it's, it's very impressive to see how the professionals, the women as well, how they've just completely rewritten the script of what Kona can be. Absolutely. And it's, it's makes it very exciting. I, I think Anyways, it, it's been really, yeah. I mean, you know, I've been, I've been there. I've been out on the Island since so nine when Rooney started and I started racing there in 11 and it was definitely the best, the fastest day I've, I've ever seen. Uh, but you know, 2018 was the fast day as well. And, uh, you know, no one did what those guys did. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're, you're so much more than what happened in Miami last year, but I am a physician after all. <laughs> and so I feel compelled <laughs> to ask a couple more questions about that. So yeah. I hope you don't mind. Um, I, I think that your experience then was, uh, really a wake up call for a lot of people in our sport. Uh, I've spoken many times on this program about the importance of listening to your body and being attuned to subtle signs and symptoms that something might be amiss. And it seems that your experience is making that kind of message get through. And I'm curious, have you heard from athletes who have been motivated by your own medical misadventure in some way to get themselves checked out and potentially avoid a similar outcome? Absolutely. I actually, uh, I get, you know, people reaching out through my website um, pretty much weekly, uh, either telling me stories of, you know, similar stories and just, you know, kind of, um, you know, joining that community and that, that camaraderie of, of, of knowing what someone else has gone through or yeah, telling me about how either them or a loved one was able to prevent, you know, something like this by, um, you know, early detection and awareness. So, uh, it's been a silver lining for me in terms of everything that's happened that I've been able to kind of bring some more, uh, awareness to, to the, to the subject. And I think it's important to note, you are special in many ways. Uh, obviously, you're a professional triathlete. I mean, most people would never have been able to finish any part of a, of a longer distance event while undergoing a heart attack like you did. Uh, it was purely because of your supreme fitness that you were able to do that. Um, but the other thing is you're young. Uh, 30, 39? Is that correct? 42. 42. Yeah. Well, you don't look a day over 39, uh, 42 years old. Uh, and uh, I mean, that's still pretty young to have sustained the kind of heart attack that you had, especially given the kind of shape you're in. And I think that uh, we owe it to the listeners just to explain that you found out because of this, that you had a predisposition, correct? Absolutely. So, um, I had a soft plaque rupture at the very top of the LED and, you know, it's a combination, obviously the plaque has to build up. So there's, there's a problem there. Why is the plaque building up? And then, you know, the interior lining of the artery ruptures or fails. And, you know, there's another issue, right? Uh, a stent was placed in. So, you know, the, the artery issues lining is kind of taken care of at that point. Um, you know, that's, that's going to be strong. That hopefully lasts my whole life. <laughs> um, but yeah, the soft, so the soft plaque is like, okay, well, why that happen? Uh, now there is, you know, Dr. Baggish was telling me that I only had soft plaque in my LED and there is a correlation 
um, with runners that hasn't really been studied that well, but um, there is a tendency for some reason for runners to get plaque buildup in the LED. And he had mentioned or alluded to that. It may be fact of the force of the blood flow at that, at that point um, through the heart. And then I did a bunch of genetic testing and found out I had quite a few, you know, markers that, um, you know, um, predisposed me to having plaque buildup, including small LDL um, particles, which are, are a big part of the issue. And so now you're on medications that will suppress your risk going forward? So I was on uh to kind of run the gamut after the first year I was on a blood thinner statin. Uh, I was on a beta blocker for a little while, but that wasn't really something that I needed to be on. Once they realized that the actual function and uh, movement of my heart was not um, uh, affected by the, uh, the incident. So uh, that kind of left me on statin and blood thinner for a while, got off the blood thinner after the year and the statin. I'm not a huge fan of, to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> makes your muscles um, sore, right? Yeah. Makes you, yep, yep. And I have a friend who's a retired heart surgeon, and uh, he'd say, like, on their group rides, him and his buddy, they would be like, you know, one of the other guys, like, Eddie, oh, he's not riding really well anymore. And they'd take bets on if he's on a statin or not. And they're like, hey, Eddie, you start taking a statin? And he'd be like, yep. And like, that, there you go. <laughs> so uh, through the racing year, basically, we, we held off on the statins. And um, I think there's a mis somewhat of a misconception of what people think they're on a statin. Um, you know, it, yes, it can lower, your, lowers your cholesterol numbers. Um, but you know, as we alluded to, sometimes it's not necessarily just your HDL or LDL numbers. It's, it's, uh, what type of, you know, LDL do you have, you know, small dense LDL is much more dangerous than, you know, larger, uh, uh LDL. So it, they kind of explained it to me is like, all right, well, it calcifies plaque, soft plaque. So it reduces the risk of you having a catastrophic, catastrophic event where soft plaque ruptures and fills the artery and then, you know, calcify plaque that doctors can manage. So uh, it's something that we're going to look at at the long term. Okay, what's my long term strategy going to be when I'm done racing? In the short term, they're like, yeah, you know, a year, year and a half of racing, whatever it is, you know, it's okay. But we want to look at a long-term strategy and that's something we're going to kind of dive into when I get back, uh, back home after I'm yeah. in Australia right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think, you know, the take home message here is every athlete's different. Every individual is different. Pay attention to your body, pay attention to any kinds of symptoms that don't seem normal. And that doesn't have to be chest pain. That can be, uh, increased shortness of breath when you don't expect it. That can be exercise intolerance. These are little things that are sometimes subtle, especially in women, because women tend not to get the typical symptoms of chest pain. So especially if you're in your forties, fifties, sixties, as a triathlete, you start feeling these weird symptoms, that's the time to go get checked out. Don't wait until it's too late. Um, Tim, I was really touched by the story that you told during the lecture or during that medical conference about the secondary impact that your heart attack has had on your family, particularly Rinny. And I wanted to ask if you'd mind sharing that here, because I think it has relevance to so many people. I told you at the time how relevant it was to me. Um, Lauren, my daughter, had Hodgkin's lymphoma, as I mentioned. And I think my wife and I don't always recognize how much stress that has put on us afterwards because we realize every time we go for screening tests for her that once we get the uh, the clearance that her tests are okay, we feel this enormous weight lift off our shoulders. And 
you told the the story about um, a day that you were running on the treadmill, and I think that uh, people would appreciate hearing that if you don't mind sharing. Definitely, yeah, and uh, it's hard because you know your loved ones they're there to support you, and sometimes they don't they don't want to be a burden. So the burden that this your situation has put on them, they don't share with you because they know you already have a lot on your plate. Um, but yeah, it was, um, uh, you know, not, you know, kind of, I guess it was mid, mid 2021. Um, I had a hour treadmill run and Rennie was going to take, uh, our, our son Finian down for a nap. And, uh, she's like, oh, I'm going to nap. I'm like, oh, I'm running an hour on the treadmill. So she, she takes him into the, into the bedroom. And, uh, of course I get distracted. I start doing stuff around the house and, you know, procrastinating. And so I don't get on the treadmill till way later. So she wakes up from a two hour nap with uh, Finn and she hears the TV blasting in the training room and the treadmill just, just spinning over. And she thinks the worst because right in her mind, she's like, Oh, he should have been done running an hour ago. So she comes busting through the door and just like with this, like just kind of petrified look on her face, throws the door open and then sees me running on the treadmill and just had this huge sigh of relief. You know, in her mind, I was, she was going to find, find me on the floor, you know, with the treadmill spinning and the, and the music blasting. Uh, so that, that was, and that was a couple of months after my incident. That was really the, it was a poignant moment for me to, to really understand the severity of what our loved ones go through and in, in supporting us through, uh, something like this. Really poignant, I thought, and a really powerful reminder. So what actually is the- Jeff, um, I'm going to, I'm going to add on to this because, uh, you, I haven't seen you since before the race, but I was chatting with Rennie after the race. And she was her. My mom was texting Rennie during the race, and she, and I. My mom never hasn't even told me this, uh, but she was mortified. She was like, "Oh my god!" She's like, "I don't know. Like, how are you watching him out there? Like, I can't watch. Like, I'm so scared. Like, something's gonna happen to him." And uh, so, yeah, there was another moment where, like, wow, like this is so impactful on others. And and Rennie yeah. even said it was. We chatted after the race. Rennie was. Kona was the first race for Rennie as well, where she wasn't absolutely mortified for me being out there. You know, even in Santa Cruz, when we both raced Santa Cruz, every time she saw me on the course, she would just have like this kind of sigh of relief that, you know, all right, he's okay. So, I mean, she's out there trying to win a race and the fact that yeah. she's just worrying about her husband and his, his health and, you know, uh, well, yeah, I mean, that must have been, I mean, I was watching you guys in Santa Cruz uh, um, uh, virtually through the app and everything, and I saw how well she was doing there. And I, it did cross my mind how that might have been a burden on her mentally, and yet she continued to perform as well as she did. And that that really is remarkable. Uh, and, and and again, like for you, you're you're focused on your race, not really thinking about it. But it must mm-hmm. have been a, quite a realization to 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 note, to, despite that she did as well as she did. That uh, yeah, this was a mental burden for her. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. So, so what, luckily, what, we're both what, kind of kind of come through the other end. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, it'll never. I I imagine it'll never be totally gone, but it'll certainly get better and better all the time. I I yeah. know for us, for us, every time my daughter gets like a cold, you know, we, you know or headaches, we worry. And so I can yeah. imagine for Rennie, it's going to be. It, it'll be similar. It'll get better and better, but there'll still be this little sort of niggling little fear. So what does the future hold for you, Tim? Where where uh, you know the tender young age of forty two, I. I I just I recently <laughs> spoke I recently spoke to Brent McMahon who will be 42 next year at Kona yep. and uh, he he has uh, it's amazing to me to see 
professionals be performing as well as they are your teammate Laura Siddle doing as incredibly well uh, in her 40s so so what does the future hold for you yeah Andy Potts he's trying to be uh he's doing Cozumel uh this month he wants to be the first 45 year old to break eight hours so we'll follow Andy, wow. uh, yeah see how he does but yeah I mean it's definitely um I uh first off i I plan on, on competing next year. Uh, I haven't really picked a race schedule. Um, I want to do some races that I'm going to really enjoy. And, you know, and then I also want to go just go to some events and kind of celebrate the sport. Uh, maybe not even in a racing capacity, but just, you know, really, you know, be out there with the community and, and have some more touch points. And, um, I think that would be incredibly, um, rewarding, uh, for us and, you know, hopefully everybody we get to interact with. And, you know, uh, then it's like, okay, how else are we going to, in the long run, how else are we going to be part of this sport? And I think waterfall racing is, is going to be a big part of our um, future journey in the sport. Um, for both Rennie and myself, that's our, our age group racing team. And uh, we actually just announced the pro project, which uh, we're really excited about. Um, we, uh, we launched this for uh, aspiring pros and, you know, uh, hopefully another path of development for athletes. Uh, Cause it is, it's very hard to get into the sport. It's time money. It's, it's all, it's all very demanding. So the pro project uh, we're, we have two spots uh, in Boulder. And uh, so two aspiring 18 to 25 year old um, pros will get housing for a year in Boulder with um, a couple of the other pros on the waterfall racing team, a $12,000 stipend for the year and support with training and coaching, things like that. So, um, and the house, their house is right in our neighborhood. So they'll have a uh, good access to me and Rooney for hopefully some mentorship and guidance, but, uh, yeah, uh, terrific. Yeah. We're super excited. So, um, yeah. Uh, any of your listeners, uh, that are younger or know anybody that's, uh, on that path and wants a chance for maybe a really cool opportunity they can head to the waterfall racing website and, uh, the application for the pro project is on there. All right. I will definitely put a link to that in the show notes and, but the waterfall project is not something I'm familiar with. So please, uh, the waterfall project is not just for the potential pros. It's, it's no. Yeah. So team? water, yeah. Waterfall racing is, uh, the age of racing team that we started in conjunction, uh, with our friend Ben Atkins, uh, here in Boulder. And Ben is fairly new to the sport. Uh, and he kind of found it hard to just find his community and, and people to train with and things like that. So he, you know, wanted to try to have, um, a, nat- a you know, really a, a global team that, um, you know, brings us all together, you know, or from around the world and access to fellow triathletes. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we're excited to, um, be supporting waterfall racing. All right. Well, I will have the links to all of that on uh, in the show notes. And uh, and I guess uh, one last question for you, and I don't know if you're allowed to divulge this because I'm not asking Rennie specifically, but uh, what's <laughs> what's Rennie's future look like? Is she going to be racing as well next year? Um, I'm going to, yeah, let her, um, she's figuring out what she wants to do. So I'll, I'll just keep tight lips. And uh... All right. <laughs> That's fair enough. Tell her to come on the show. Yeah, I'd love that. All right. Well, uh, Tim, thank you so much for making time today. Uh, I really, really appreciate you uh, taking a moment out of your off season in Brisbane. And uh, it was really wonderful chatting with you. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, I wish you all the best for uh, the upcoming off season and then getting back to training once uh, you get back to Boulder. All right. Thanks, Jeff. All the songs that-
That's it for another episode. The TriDark Podcast is produced and edited by me, Jeff Sankoff, along with my interns. I'm Agent Johnson. This is Special Agent Johnson. Oh, how you doing? No relation. I'm, uh... I'm Jeff Sankoff, uh, the, the TriDark. I'm in charge here. Not anymore. Those interns are Ian Johnson and Ben Johnson. You can find the show notes for everything discussed on the show today, as well as archives of previous episodes at tridocpodcast.com. Do you have questions about any of the issues discussed on this episode, or do you have a question that you'd like for me to consider answering on a future episode? Send me an email at tri underscore doc at icloud.com, or join the private Tridoc Podcast Facebook group on Facebook, and you can submit your questions there. If you're interested in coaching services, please visit try.coaching.com or lifesportcoaching.com, where you can find a lot of information about me and the services that I provide. You can also follow me on the TriDark Podcast Facebook page, TriDark Coaching on Instagram, and the TriDark Coaching YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you'll consider leaving me a rating and a review, as well as subscribe to the show wherever you download it. And of course, there's always the option of becoming a supporter of the podcast at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. The music heard at the beginning and the end of the show is Radio by Empty Hours and is used with permission. This song and many others like it can be found at ReverbNation.com, where I hope that you'll visit and give small independent bands a chance. The TriDoc Podcast will be back again soon with another medical question for me to answer and another interview with someone in the world of multisport. Until then, remember 1121, train hard, train healthy.